I see the metaphor as an additional way to view ourselves and our family members and how we got to be who we are. And it by, by understanding it through the car metaphor, there are so many ways of interpreting families. Welcome to the first episode of What Drives You, a podcast hosted by me, Tolly Taylor, a reporter based here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Ellen Shute, uh, an LMSW here at the University of Michigan, an adjunct lecturer. Ellen, if you could describe this this car metaphor, the car, it's it's something that you came up with. It's uh, it's your theory. How did you think of the car? I thought of the car from my own childhood, where I spent most of my childhood in the backseat of my parents' car by myself. I grew up as an only child, and I grew up as an only child, and I didn't like it, and I always felt very alone in the backseat, and it felt to me many times like my parents weren't really interested in what I was doing back there. The rule in our car was that little girls are to be seen and not heard. And so I was a good little girl and sat in the back seat and tried to be good and pretty and quiet. And my pervasive childhood memories are of being in that space by myself. And as I grew up and as I made friends and developed a larger community, I would sit with my friends in their cars and there was so much interaction and so much noise and other children and I began to think to myself that being alone in the backseat of that car was really profound for me and and determined um, a lot about who I am today as a person And then I began thinking that wherever anybody sits in the car and whoever else might be in the car with them has their own unique experience of how they become who they are. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, You know, I can remember my mother saying that same thing over and over again. Children should be seen and not heard. And and that's what her parents told her. Not at all what she taught me or my experience. But, uh, you know, I shared this car metaphor that, that you've explained to me with her. And just hearing her go off, she told me stories about her family that I'd never heard before. And that sort of seems to be what it does. Is it, is it sort of a key to unlocking how a, you know, a stranger's family dynamic was? How do you see this metaphor? I see the metaphor as an additional way to view ourselves and our family members and how we got to be who we are. And it, by, by understanding it through the car metaphor, there are so many ways of interpreting families, who's in the driver's seat, who, who sits behind the driver, who's in the way back. Um, And 
even in families that do not have a physical car, they still have a metaphorical car where someone's in charge, maybe different people sit in the driver's seat at different times. And if you ask someone who was in the driver's seat of your car growing up, and they might say, oh, my mom or my dad, um, some people say my older sister, uh, and then you ask why, then they begin talking about their family dynamics, which for most of us are just part of the fiber of us. We don't really look at that. But when you have the tools about the car to help you examine who was where and why they were there and what that caused as a result of being there, it really gives tremendous insight into who we are as humans. Absolutely. Okay. Before we get too far down this road to continue with the car metaphor, uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about your your clinical focus and what your sort of professional life has has been like. Yes. So I've been a clinical social worker for twenty four years, and I've I've done that in many different capacities. Part of that is that. I teach social work at the University of Michigan, as you mentioned. I worked at an agency for a long time, many, many years, where I did clinical work, actually direct practice with clients or psychotherapy with clients. I was also the director of a whole department of people that worked with clients. And the work that I have done has always been through a family systems lens. Now, the thing about a family systems lens and why that's different than other people who do the same work is that I believe that who we develop to be within this car, the metaphorical car, has a tremendous amount of impact on who we are long after we've left the car. And that very often, the only way to really understand who this adult may be sitting with you today is to understand their early beginnings in their car. Okay, so here's a, a misconception that I had when I first had this theory explained to me. And, and the misconception was, you know, if we can be in multiple cars, if, if I'm in a car with, you know, the family that I grew up with and then with my fiancé, we're in a different type of car, and then with my friends, I'm in a different car. Um, you know, why does that one from my childhood sort of dictate what or or influence what I'm like when I'm older? If I can get right out of that car when I leave that, you know, that family and and jump in another car with my fiance or my friends. The reason why it's so impactful, and there's just a tremendous amount of research now to support that from ages pre-birth to four or five years old is really when we develop our primary beliefs about ourselves, about others, about the world in general. Um, so whether I'm enough or lovable or whether I matter, um, whether others are dependable or not dependable, whether they're trustable or not trustable, whether the world is a relatively safe place or the world is a dangerous place, those beliefs are sealed into us 
pretty much by the time we're five years old. And I, it's, it's powerful. Wow, yeah. It's really powerful. Much of it happens before we even have words for it. So the, 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 the psychological basis of who we are as humans happens then. And, and I can explain it to you in terms of my own cars and how I developed and how that has resulted in my who I am as an adult. Yeah, that would be great. So should we just jump into sure. what your car is and, and maybe I can play off of that with what, what I think my car is and you can... Absolutely. Yeah. So I was born to a mother and a father who um, waited until after World War II to, like everybody else in the baby boom age, to get married and have a child. And they got married and they had me. And they were married for about 18 months when they decided to divorce. So my first car was that car with a mom and a dad and me in in there somewhere, I would assume in the back seat. Mm-hmm. And, and that car... And even though I didn't really have a vocabulary yet, that was my car. Those were my people. As humans, we attach to that. Sure. And then at the young age of 18 months, all of a sudden, the car changed and the dad was gone. And in those days, it was really thought that it was better for people if, when, if parents divorced that the child just goes with one parent and tries to create a new direction and the other parent goes in the other direction. So I had very little um, interaction with my father after I was 18 months old. He, he was talked about occasionally. I think as was reported to me, I might have seen him a couple of times. He pretty quickly remarried and, and had more children. Um, but my mom, who I was with, was single until I was seven years old. So I went from this three-person car to this two-person car and without a lot of explanation, and I'm not sure how you explain it to an 18-month-old, but if there would have been a way, it didn't happen then. And so then I'm in a car with just me and my mom for seven years of my life. And then my mom gets married, and the person who she married had actually been a part of that car for a number of years. They dated for a very long time before they got married. And and this car that I remember today growing up, the metaphorical car where I was alone in the back seat, was the car with my stepdad and my mom and me in the back seat. Okay. So as I said before the primary rule of this car was that little girls are to be seen and not heard. All cars have their rules. Okay. Right. So, um, and, and the rules may either be overt or covert. Sure. In this car, that rule was an overt rule. It was spoken. Okay. Okay. Wow. The covert rule in that car that I realized much later on in my life was that we don't do anything to upset mom. Right. Okay. 
Interesting. Yes. So if you think about me in a car in the back seat for many years from the time I was a baby, um, and the the primary rule being that I was supposed to be there and be seen and not heard, you could imagine what life was like for me back there. Yeah. I mean, what would you think if you were to... Isolated. Exactly. Uh, distant. Yep. And probably not really tended to. That is for sure. So I would tell you that the the signature quality of my life is that I am on my own, independent. If I need something, I'm going to do it. I don't rely on others to do for me. I learn not to ask others to do for me. Uh, and, and while that could be seen as, as a wonderful quality, mm-hmm. it's really hard to live your whole life without needing anything from anyone. Absolutely. And without feeling like you're entitled to ask for things. And it changes the way that you connect to people. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Right. Very much so. Was there ever an age where you tried to disrupt that car? I mean, is that something we can do? That's a really good question. So in my car, that rule was so firm about seen and not heard that, and remember, I was in a car where one person disappeared. Right. So my job in this car was to be a really good girl and not break the rules, okay? Yep. I, I often think that had there been another child, and my mom and my stepdad tried really hard and had many failed pregnancies to have another child, but I often think that had there been another child back there with me, mm-hmm. that together we probably would have broken that rule. Cause, Interesting. Because I don't know that another child would have gone along with it in the way that I did. Sure. But I was afraid to break I was afraid to break the rule. Okay. The interesting thing about my car is that that rule only applied in this threesome because my mom would talk a lot about how as soon as I was 2 or 2 and a half years old I was very verbal and wherever she would take me I would go make friends with people. I would go to the next table at the restaurant. I see. I I didn't sit still. I was always looking for people to be there for me. Seeking interactions. Totally, yes. Which has also just been my whole entire adult life. Has been about being a gatherer, bringing people to me, creating family, wherever I go, creating family. Because... I, I really, really missed that. I see. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you sort of created it for yourself. Okay. So that's interesting. Yes. So then so then within your friend group, you're the one who organizes the dinner parties. You're the one who brings people together. Yep. Exactly. Like that. Yes. I'm, if I join a club, I'm going to become the president just because then I'm going to matter. I'm going to be important. People, I, I, I can be guaranteed that people are going to listen to me. Yes, all as a result of that early feeling of being alone and not mattering. Okay, and one clarification question. So you said that you learned that you know, you, you're not supposed to disrupt your, your mother, right? You're not supposed to disturb her. Everyone needs to be careful of her feelings. Mm-hmm. Does that mean she was the driver or was your stepdad the driver? 
My mother was definitely the driver. I see. My stepdad sat in the driver's seat and drove, actually drove, like the real car, not the metaphorical car. I see. Except the conversation that went on in that seat between them was always, until the day that she died, her telling him where to go, what to do, and how to do it. I see. Interesting. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so then the follow-up to that is... Is it possible to switch roles in a car? Is it is it possible for your mother to be the metaphorical driver sometimes and your stepdad at other times? So that's actually what we would wish for in the most well-developed car would be an alternating leadership between the adults in the family. That at sometimes this person's the leader and this person's sometimes the leader and that they're both okay being it's we call it sort of an equal an equal playing field sure that they're both okay in either position okay however um in in the case of my car my mother was always the driver yeah my father just pretended to be driving i see and that was just about following the rule of the car which is don't not to upset mom right interesting Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I first had this uh, car metaphor explained to me, and it was by one of your students, who's my fiance, um, she guessed that my car situation within my family, you know, my father and mother who have since divorced and, and you know, my father's remarried, but in the original family, it was, you know, my father driving, my mother in the passenger seat, uh, my two sisters in the back seat. And then me in the way back, picture a <laughs> Volvo station wagon facing out toward backwards towards the other cars, waving frantically, just trying to make friends with everyone and trying to make other people laugh. That's my husband. Interesting. Yes. Okay. And, and when you met my husband today, you could probably still see that because that's <laughs> he, who he is. He came right out to greet us. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so that's really interesting. I, I mean... Side note, I think that's exactly right. I think my fiance got that exactly right. I think that was my role. Um, so how does that, I mean, how do, you know, with with other cars with my friends and, you know, now my father's remarried to my stepmother and I have uh, a younger stepsister and a younger half-sister. So how does that shape what I'm like going out in the rest of my life? So it's a really interesting thing. Um, children of divorce need to learn how to navigate two different cars. They may play the same role in both cars, or they may not. Hmm. But the car in which they lived for those first five years is going to pretty much determine their what they take with them. So somehow when you get into these other cars you're still going to be acting out some of that role in one way or another. Interesting. Yeah, I, I would say absolutely with my with my mother, you know, when you know we were just with her for Christmas. Um, when I'm with my mother, I think that's still that original car dynamic. Um, maybe she's now the driver, but it's still my two sisters in the in the back seat, probably. And then me, you know, with my fiance, I'm the one who gets the groceries and I tend to ask on Monday what we're doing that weekend and try and make a plan. And then I sense myself when I get back with my mom and and two sisters, 
immediately I'm totally flexible. I can do whatever they want. I don't do a particularly good job cleaning up after myself. I'm the baby. I'm, you know, I'd feel myself revert to those different things. And it's almost jarring now that I'm aware of it, especially. Um, so I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on if you've experienced that yourself or anything like that. So my thoughts about that are about my husband. Um, so my husband is the youngest of five boys, and he's seven years younger than the next oldest. There were four in a row, and then seven years, and then him. And he was literally and figuratively in the back seat, facing backward, waving his whole life. Right. And I believe that the dynamic in their car was a lot about making sure that he knew he was the baby and that he stayed the baby. I see. Um, I knew my husband for about three years before I ever saw him within the context of his siblings. Hmm. And the first time that I saw him like that, I, I could not believe that this was the same person that I knew. Wow. Because everything about how they interact is about reinforcing that he is the baby and don't you forget it. And it doesn't matter if he's the only one with a college degree, let alone a master's degree. It Nothing else matters. It is that imprint that they have to prove themselves as older, smarter, stronger, more... I don't know what it is, manly, something like that. I'm not sure. Sure. But that that is the whole dynamic. And for someone like me, who wasn't in that kind of dynamic with anyone, I I watch it. It's horrifying to me. I I, I want to just say to them, dudes, can you just like have a conversation? Right. <laughs> like, but but they can't. Yeah. Because it that's Every time they're together, every minute of it is acting out the the scenarios, right. acting out the rules of the car. And there's two brothers that have passed away. And in my belief, it has only intensified what's left for the remaining three. I see. Interesting. So, yeah, try as you might, you can't sort of shake them from their... No. Oh, no. Their roles in the car. Right. Interesting. So was there ever a time where you were forced into a position that was just totally antithetical to what your normal role in the car was? In my car itself? Yeah. Yes. When I was 18, well, I wasn't 18. I was a senior in high school. Okay. And I, I it was six weeks before my high school graduation, and I had had a teacher that year. I don't remember what the class was or the teacher that I hated. Okay. And I decided that me and my empowered self, I was going to write a letter to the board of education about this teacher. Wow. Which, you know, me, this voiceless, quiet girl in the back seat, didn't sure. do things like that. So this was really huge. Uh, and I knew that I was going to be leaving and going to college, which I think gave me some shelter. So I write this letter and I read it to my mother who just really heavily criticized it. Not the way I wrote it, but how dare you? You can't write something like that. That's just terrible. What's wrong with you? 
And for the first time in my life at 17, I said to her, I hate the way you told me that. Interesting. Interesting. So for the next eight weeks, which included up and through my high school graduation, she didn't speak to me. Wow. Now that is about the rules of the car. I broke the rule of the car. Children should be seen and not heard. Exactly. And I talked back to her. Right. And so what we, why that's important is because everyone has their role to play in making sure that the car gets from today to tomorrow to the next day. And my role was to be this good, quiet girl. Sure. Okay? And so here at 17, I, I break the rule. I wasn't being that girl. I break the rule in writing the letter, and I break the rule in talking back to my mother about her criticism of the letter. And so what her efforts were about were about trying to get me back into my role. Because, because the only way the car goes is as if everyone is in their role. Right. There's a, we call it, it's a systems term. The term is the homeostasis. A family systems term? Any system. Any system. Uh, mechanical systems, anything. Okay. Homeostasis means stable. And when the car is driving, when the car is getting everyone in the family from today to tomorrow to the next day, everyone in there has to be doing their role. And that's what lets the car keep going. I see. So when someone deviates in the car... Everyone else in the car is going to just try to get them back to being where they used to be because it raises tremendous anxiety in the car when it's just not how we're used to it. Yeah, that's interesting. That that makes me think of, you know, over this recent Christmas, the you know, my sisters and I tried to set up a meal plan to help take stress away from my mother. And one night we scheduled it where she wouldn't have to cook any dish at all. The The thinking being... You know, okay, mom will just be able to sit and have a drink and relax and and talk with her friends who were coming over that night and will be in the kitchen cooking and getting everything ready. And of course, what actually happened is that <laughs> my mom was in there helping me and my sisters and my fiance do everything. She was micromanaging everything. And, you know, we tried our hardest to convince her to go back and, and be with her friends but instead, what ended up happening is one or occasionally all of us would just go out and entertain her friends and she would do sections or, you know, entire, entire parts of it, entire dishes. That's exactly what I mean. Okay. Exactly what I mean. Right. So when your fiance becomes your wife one day and you're acting out some of this old stuff in your life and she's wondering, why can't he just... That's the reason, because, because you weren't allowed to go into the kitchen and just take over. Mm. My children would say exactly the same thing. I exactly see. the same thing. Okay. Yes. I mean, I, I'm at an age now where a lot of people's adult children have taken over the holidays. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Not my children. And people say, oh, well, do your kids bring stuff? Do they make half of it? No, right. not that they wouldn't. I, ca I can't let go. 
because because part of the reaction from that car that I grew up in was to create cars in my life where this where I'm in charge and I'm friendly and I'm warm and I'm going to make it warm and welcoming for you and you're going to want to come and be with me and I'm not ready to let go of that. Right. So that's exactly it. Okay, we need to return to homeostasis. Need to return to homeostasis. Now I worry about my grown children and the homeostasis, their sense of homeostasis when I really am too old and what will happen. But that, that, that's just part of life and we'll have to deal with that as it comes. So if you take this thinking to its sort of logical conclusion, when, when a, a family member cuts themselves off from the rest of the family, mm-hmm. is that because the homeostasis that's required of them is, is too painful or? Exactly. That's, so in my clinical work, working with families, oftentimes I see families that have some type of acting out teenager, okay? Or um, one of the young adult children has brought home somebody that wasn't part of the family plan in some reason. Okay. That creates a crisis to the homeostasis. Right. Now, in healthy families... There are many crises to the homeostatic state, and the family healthily reorganizes and figures out how to move forward. But in less emotionally healthy families, sometimes the crisis to the homeostasis is too much, and that results then in a cutoff. Interesting. Yes. So you, you, in our society today, a child brings home someone of a different religion or a different race or a different ethnicity and the family either has to figure out how to incorporate that into our homeostatic state or that child is cut off and no longer part of that car. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, there are, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking when, when I introduced uh, Beth, my fiance, to my family and, you know, she came over for first Christmas last year, we, we had a lot of talk afterwards about how I went from being the planner and, you know, sort of leading, you know, what we're going to do that weekend and things like that to all of a sudden just sort of putty and just sort of going with the flow and yeah, Beth had trouble recognizing who I was, and and then and then her role changed too. She just sort of adopted the same form that I did, and that's not someone who she tends to be in her life. And so, you know, she's the oldest child, um, also the product of of divorced parents, and so she was the one who's used to planning Christmas for the family and getting everyone together, and then all of a sudden she's putty because. That's what I am. She joins me in the in the way back seat facing out. Exactly. The rules of the car are so powerful and, and we feel them. Our bodies feel them. Even if nobody talks about them, we all know that. And she stepped into your car and just knew the rules, knew what she had to do if she was going to be there with you. One of your siblings' fiancés might have taken a different role in the car. 
Yeah. But Beth knew that's where she had to be. Right. Because that the system, the metaphor of the car is so powerful. That's why I don't say anything to my husband's brothers. Because there's no... That is just old and so entrenched and intrinsic. I'm not going to change that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, the the roles and rules of the cars in generally in general are, you know, that they're parent driven. Yes. You said that there are overt and covert rules. Right. That they tend to last a lifetime. I mean, that's pretty clear. They last a lifetime. And uh, and that they can also be the basis for future relationships, although not, you know, the your dynamic within it can within a different car can be can be different the, your your role can be different but it can affect you going forward because like you said those first 4 to 5 years can be so instrumental is that right yes it is within within the car that you learn to be a relational person okay you learn your relational skills in there as a result of that so i learned in my car to be this person that when I go into a situation, I'm going to be quiet and watch and look and not wave at everybody. And I'm going to, I'm going to check things out and I'm going to then make a determination as to what would be expected of me. I, I learned that in my car. Interesting. Yes. Okay. And so I, I, I took that. It, it, it would be very, if that made you, if you were, if you were in a relationship with me and that made you uncomfortable, you would have a lot of anguish over that because I really don't know that I could change that. It's right. just part of who I am. Interesting. So, I mean, we've, we've gotten at this indirectly and in different things that you said, but just to sort of fully flush it out, why do you think this metaphor is helpful? I believe the metaphor is helpful because I think that in normal life progression, we we at many times need to take a different place in the car than the place we learned. And I think that there are lots of times in life when that is really challenging and that if we can go back and understand why this is so challenging and develop a sense of compassion for ourselves around, I understand why this is hard for me. I, I, I didn't learn how to do this. I don't know how to do this. The example that I like to give for that is um, with my aging father. Now, this is the stepfather that I grew up with. He adopted me, ultimately. Uh, and my mother had passed away and as the only child, I was left there to take care of him. He lived nine years after her. And during those nine years, he began to have his own decline in his cognitive ability. I mean, all of his abilities. And the time came during that nine years when he failed his driving test. And he was he was very, very unhappy about this. He insisted that the test was wrong, that the people were stupid, that he could drive. He was just fine driving. It didn't matter that he had accidents and got tickets. And it became my job to take his car keys from him in order to keep him and the rest of the world safe. And so if you think about that in terms of the car metaphor, 
I'm asking this man who's been in the driver's seat for 90 years to, act, to move out of the driver's seat. Right. And the excruciating part of that for him is obvious. But the excruciating part of that for me is that I had to, in effect, step up into the driver's seat and do this and be the one to tell him how to live his life. Of course. He didn't like it. He, he told me every time he saw me that I ruined his life. I had no preparation to be in that assertive position, especially right. with him. Right. No preparation. So there's lots of times in life when we need to be in a different seat in the car than we were used to being. And we deserve to understand why it's so hard. And especially for the people who love us to understand why it's so hard for us to help us to try to develop new skills. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, this might be a little too tangential, but I, I watched my grandfather go through the same thing uh, with, you know, my mother and her sisters and, and brother. And he really hated them having to slowly take over different parts of his life. Um, and then eventually driving became even a, a step too far. And he had to be driven around and he hated it. He wanted the control. He was very much the patriarch of the family. And, you know, watching him struggle with that, I remember thinking internally, I, I think I would have an easier time with this. I think I could be okay with this. And now that I have this car metaphor to look back on, it makes a lot of sense why. Because that's absolutely a role that I've been accustomed to in different in another part of my life. Absolutely. And your mother had sisters and a brother. Right. Who who got to do this with her. Who I I didn't have those. Sure. So it was just me, the right. evil one. Right. And I spent my whole life doing everything not to ever be a bad girl. Right. And so here even with this aging parent he gives me a look. He's mad at me. There's a tone in his voice. It just, it just was so painful. It was probably the most painful thing that I ever did in my life. Wow. Um, so, and I believe that that we all have those transitions where some of what we learned needs to need isn't serving us. It it served us in the car. Because it kept the car going sure. and it maintained the homeostasis. But very often those roles that we took on in that car are what we in social work say are oppressive. They, they prevent us from being our fullest selves. And to me it just seems sad that everyone doesn't just at least have an opportunity to understand that about themselves and the people that they love. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point to end this episode on. Uh, let's just go into a you know a couple hints, a couple a couple previews of of what what is to come in future episodes. So, is there anything specifically you'd like to talk about? Sure. So, the reason why I believe this is so important is because the power of the family system to create change in communities, in society, in our country, is untapped. 
currently. And we don't think about families. When, when terrible tragedies happening, when there's a, a mass shooting, we, we talk about mental illness and we talk about gun control, but we don't talk about this person's car and how they grew up and what they learned about themselves and how they developed ideas that hurting other people would, would be a good way to make themselves feel better somehow. And I feel like this is so important and it's right there and it doesn't, it's free. Like any family could learn what, what would be helpful, what would be more helpful. I think that very often parents just don't know that something like this might be helpful. Sure. So that's, that's really my goal is to create a deeper understanding and understand and most especially about the untapped resources that we have in families in our society today to to move us into the future in a more positive way. Yeah, I think that's really well put. In in future episodes we will address how cars can change over time. Yes. Uh postmodern cars. Yes. So, right. Cars are really different today. <laughs> right. I'm very interested to hear about that. Um, how we can change from car to car. You know, we talked about this a little bit, but, you know, you're the family car that you grew up with and then with friends and, you know, with a family that you create yourself and different things like that. Is that right? Yes. And, and just how different things are going to be expected of you than the things you learned initially in your, in your first car. All right. Anything else in this first episode? No, I think that's good. All right. Well, she's Ellen Shute. I'm Tolly Taylor. This was the first episode of What Drives You, and uh, we hope you'll listen to the next one.